Welcome to the Get Healthier Podcast with Rena Jadhav, who's on a quest to uncover breakthroughs and cures in living longer, healthier, and happier. Genetic testing, stem cells, rattling, talking to Silicon Valley geniuses and the best doctors in the world about the hottest products and programs to make you live an amazingly joyful life. Are you ready? Now, here's your host, Rena. Hey, folks. It's Rena Jadhav here with a healthier podcast and founder of HealCircle.org. Now, if you watched Dr. Michael Chang's interview, you know mitochondrial health is critically important for health, and you know he talks a lot about gut health. So I'm super excited that today we are going to talk about gut health and gut reset with Dr. Marvin Singh. Dr. Singh, welcome. Hi, thanks. Thanks for having me on the show. Let me start by introducing you. You're amazing. You're a trained gastroenterologist practicing out of San Diego. You're, of course, on the board, uh, American Board of Integrative Medicine. That's You're right. board-certified internist. And you have a premier wellness concierge. Um, is it a service or is it a program? It's a program. So I, okay. I uh, do a lot of different things. I take care of people in the hospital. I take care of people in the regular office. And one of the things that I love doing is uh, uh, integrative gastroenterology and precision medicine. So I have two other arms to ways that I kind of help people. And um, one of the coolest things that I'm doing these days is helping people um, understand what's going on inside their body and precisely figuring out uh, how to help them the best. So that's what uh, wellness concierge really refers to. Because the way the medicine has been practiced these days is keeping us sick, not keeping us well. All the, the way that the whole system is geared around is really geared around, you know, you got a problem, then we can fix it. And so actually medicine is amazing and we were, uh, humans are living a lot longer than we did maybe 100 years ago mm-hmm. because of all the technologies and the medicines and the treatments. But what has happened in exchange is that we're remaining chronically ill uh, at the same time as well because of a lot of other factors that have been going on as, you know, we have evolved as human beings and uh, we can talk about some of those things as well. But, you know, uh, a lot of these things, uh, diet and lifestyle uh, factors and uh, things like that are being ignored in regular day-to-day practice. Uh, It's kind of like, you know, you have an itch, we'll give you a cream. You have a headache, we'll give you a pill. You have chest pain, uh, then we'll, we'll take care of that, put a stent in, give you some Plavix, you know. So we do really good at, you know, helping acute problems. So you go to the hospital, you're in the emergency room, you're about to die, the doctor's going to save your life. And, yeah. and that's great. And we need that kind of care, so don't get me wrong on that. Yeah. Because everybody has different situations. But uh, what about the majority of us who are just kind of going along thinking we're otherwise healthy and then wham, one day we find out we have a problem and yeah. we could have maybe prevented it if we knew about something beforehand. So my, my whole theme of practice is it's better to be on top of your health rather than underneath disease. And so that's the whole premise of preventive care, preventive medicine and making sure that you actually know what's going on in your body so that you don't get sick. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love that you're focusing on the gut. gut. It all the comes gut. down to gut, whether it's, you know, multiple sclerosis or cancer or any of the autoimmune diseases, we're starting to link that connection to the microbiome. And it's just so, so critical. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned um, you have a rash, you 
get a cream, you know, mm-hmm. you've got high blood sugar, we'll give you a pill. Well, what's interesting, Dr. Marvin, is that when you go into the hospital and you have 28 symptoms, yeah. but they can't find out what exactly, what pill to give you because nothing's showing up on the test. They tell you take a steroid because mm-hmm. you don't know what's wrong with you, right? Idiopathic. It's a lot of idiopathic symptoms. We really don't know what the heck is wrong with your body. So take a, take a prednisone to calm it down and take some antidepressants. Clearly, you're depressed or take opioids if you're in a lot of pain. I mean, I think even we've come down to just those three things. We'll give you a steroid, we'll give you a painkiller, or we'll give you an antidepressant. And these three things do not create health and they do not, certainly do not put you on a journey back to health. So today's podcast is all about how do we put our listeners and our viewers um, in the driver's seat of health. Exactly. So let's get started. First of all, I think a lot of, there's a lot of confusion around well, why the heck are we so sick anyway? And I know you alluded to the fact that there's things that have changed. What do you think is creating this crisis? I think it's a combination of a lot of things, but if I had to blame a couple of things, I would say one is our diet and, um, Two is probably the number and types of toxins we're probably exposed to on a regular basis. 88,000 at last count. Yeah, I mean, the, the, they, saw, there are studies showing that the average baby may be born with 200 to 250 right. toxins in their right. cord blood. I mean, this, right. is, this is a human who hasn't even seen life, who's already got over 200 you know, chemicals circulating in their system. We're trying to kill them in the womb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We really are. It's like, don't be born. It's not a great world out there. Yeah. So I think, you know, the, uh, uh, you know, some of these chemicals and stuff, I mean, I don't think people or industry necessarily created these for the purpose of hurting us as a human species. I think as we went from foraging communities of small little pods of human bands of communities and started growing and expanding and getting bigger and building cities and, and establishing countries and continents. There became a need in order to help people eat and have things that the, the communities needed to survive. Um, there became a need to mass produce things and to do things quicker, faster, better. Um, and almost at, uh, at no cost without thinking about what the impact on our health is. Now, many, many years we're realizing, oh, well, well, maybe we can do this differently. We can still farm. We can farm organically. We don't have to put glyphosate on the crops. You know, we can, we can do it in a better way and we can still provide the things that we need to our society in that way. And so a lot, of, uh, a lot of health is realizing where your exposures might be coming from and working at avoiding them and cleaning that up. And then, uh, you know, diet is also a toxin too if you are not eating real food. So we all it's talk about food. Toxin. Yeah, we all talk about food and food-like substances. So, yeah. you know, food is kale. Food is spinach, something that you can hold in your hand that doesn't need a label or a, you know, yeah. ingredient tag on it. If, if you're looking at something and there's like 50 ingredients, you're like, well, oh, this is just supposed to be, you know, one food. So either 50 things in it, then you should think about whether you should be eating it or not. Because 
these foods have chemicals, they have emulsifiers, they have additives, and these chemicals um, are obesogens. They're endocrine disruptors. They mess up your gut. And so one of the fundamental principles of gut reset or gut health is in looking at these things and trying to avoid them. All right. Well, we're going to dive deeper into, <laughs> into your four weeks reset program. But let's start with why did you feel the need to create this program? Well, you know, I think uh, a lot of people want to know what to do. Uh, I think the, you know, we're all becoming a little bit more aware about gut health and um, there's a lot of different, uh, you know, theories and uh, people saying what they should do to try to help reset the gut. And what I wanted to do was put out something that people could easily digest and understand some of the basic principles of kind of cleaning up the situation and then giving some tools um, in order to kind of get started. By no means is the four-week plan uh, something that is something you do forever for your whole life. The whole theory and basis is that you can use some of these therapeutic tools in order to reset your, your health and get on top of things. But then there's an after part. I really hate the word diet. I, I don't believe in the word diet. I think diet implies that there's a beginning and an end. And unless you're planning on dying after this four-week reset, uh, you know, this, is not, this is not the thing forever, right? So you know, um, it's four weeks to kind of get going. And then after that, uh, helping you understand that there needs to be a flexible and sustainable way of living and eating afterwards. Absolutely. So what are the principles behind the four weeks gut reset program? So some of the basic principles, you know, I, I take it, you know, one of the, one of the most important, I guess, pieces of recommendation that I usually give people is that we know that there's a lot of things that need to happen, right? We know we have to improve sleep. We have to improve exercise, diet, our toxin exposure, our stress levels, huge. You know, we know we need to, you know, it, connect socially with our friends and family and loved ones and do all those great lifestyle things. But the challenge is when you're, when you tell somebody that these are the things you need to do, the way that we're programmed uh, is, okay, let's do all of it. And I'm going to try doing all of it at once. And when you try to do all of it at once, it doesn't go very well. I mean, you know, uh, I did it in my own personal life and health too. I mean, you read about all these things and you know, you want to do it. Um, but it, it's really hard uh, to actually do like a hundred things at the same time. So the whole theory is to kind of go stepwise one by one and gently kind of introduce yourself to some concepts and things like that. And I tell people, you know, as your health can snowball out of control, your health can snowball into control. And so if, if you focus on doing, you know, like one thing a week, like, okay, instead of, Kellogg's cereal, I'm going to eat steel-cut oatmeal that's organic and gluten-free. And then maybe the next week, you put blueberries and flax on top of it, and then walnuts, you know. So you made, you know, a big change, actually, in your breakfast, you know, but um, it's not so overwhelming. And once you start seeing and feeling the benefits on your digestion, increased fiber, you'll start to feel that, oh, this is good. And then you want to do the next thing and the next thing. And then your goal of doing one thing a week actually becomes, oh, I'm actually doing five things this week. I'm doing 
six things the next week and you start snowballing into control and that's kind of the way that you become well quickly. I mean, you may set a one-year goal, but you may actually get it in three months. And that's what happened with me in my own personal endeavor. So the four weeks is basically slowly kind of get you going. You, If you look at the, the ebook that I made, it's not all, okay, eat this on week one, eat this on week two, eat this on week three, and eat with this on week four. I mean, week one, we're talking about journaling. We're talking about cleaning out your pantry making sure you're sleeping and hydrating and all those things. And yeah, we talk about food, but we're talking about the other things because they're important too. You know, if, if you're tired and you're overworked and you're too stressed, mm -hmm. your mind's not going to be in the right place to make any diet changes. Mm -hmm. You're just going to go to that bagel in the morning at, yep. or donut in the morning and that's what you're yep. going to do. Yeah. I mean, yep. if all you do in the first week is learn how to do the four, seven, eight breath and start to calm your nerves and your stress level, I'm good with that. I'm good exactly. with that. It's your one step in the right direction. Exactly. All right. Describe the 474 breath. So the 478 breath is an amazing tool. It's, uh, I can't take credit for it. I learned it from Andrew Weil um, it, when I did my fellowship in integrative medicine uh, at the University of Arizona. Basically, it's the I tell people it is the quickest and cheapest treatment I can give anybody because it doesn't cost anything except 60 seconds of your time. And so what you do is you breathe in through your nose to a count of four, and you try to inflate your belly, not your chest. You hold the breath in your belly. So you breathe into a count of four, then you hold it in your belly to a count of seven, and then you blow it out through your mouth through, to a count of eight. So you breathe in quietly and you breathe out noisily, with your lips pursed. And so basically what you're doing is taking a deep breath and exhaling longer than you're inhaling. And, you know, to start, I tell people to do it just four times, you know, do four breaths. Um, make sure, you know, don't get a little lightheaded or anything like that from, you know, exhaling longer than you're inhaling. After you're comfortable with it, you know, you can increase to eight breaths. And do it in the morning, do it in the evening. Um, and then uh, on demand, what you're really doing, uh, I found in my own personal experiences, in the beginning, you feel like, you know, in the beginning, when you're doing something that you have never done before, like meditating, you know, it's human nature to think, what, what is, I don't know, what, this is weird. I'm sitting here and, you know, in my car before I go into work and I'm breathing like that's weird, you know, but you're breathing all the time, actually, you know, you're just, you're just focusing the breath. And um, what you're doing is basically reprogramming how your mind thinks and feels is, is what, I, what, what I feel, you know, happened in my own experiences. You're sending the signals to your body that it's okay to be grounded. It's okay to be still. It's okay to relax. And it's just okay to just be present and be quiet. And once you kind of do that over and over again, even when you don't feel like you're stressed out, you know, the whole point is to do it when you're not stressed out is to learn this technique. And then it becomes almost like a characteristic of your, of who you are. Mm -hmm. Then when you need it, when you feel like I'm going to go into a big meeting, there's a big deal I got to make. I hope I don't mess this up. And you do the four, seven, eight breath before you go into that meeting, you'll be in a much calmer place because your brain, your body, all the neurologic cues are already ramped up and ready to go because you've programmed your body to know what this good feeling feels like. It can be such a simple, easy 
tip to just getting on the right path to then sitting down, doing your breath, maybe going outside, just breathing in some fresh air. Um, take your breath, take your breaths outside. Take your breath outside. Two for one. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Get some sun. We don't understand. You know, it's the same thing. It's like, oh, vitamin D is important. Take a pill or <laughs> take some drops. Vitamin D is important. Go sit in the sun. Yeah. <laughs> um, it doesn't need to cost you money. It doesn't need to come in a bottle or in a package. Um, that's one of my things that I learned is health is not in a package or a bottle. You know that when you go to goddiagnose.org or you go to healcircle.org, you've got some wonderful array of these simple breathing techniques. So you can try Dr. Marvin's breathing technique. You can try the alternate nostril breathing technique that has an incredible amount of science behind it. Um, and of course, there's there's some other options there as well. So get started or join healcircles.org and we send you one every morning to do. So you don't even have to go hunting for it. Um, let's talk about the week where you really help focus on the diet itself. Mm -hmm. What is it from a gut standpoint, from a gut health standpoint, uh, what kind of a diet do you recommend? Yeah, so I guess one of the key key points is to uh, make sure everybody knows that these this is not like a diet that you follow for life. These are just kind of techniques and tools that you use to kind of kind of regain control over things. And so I talk about ketogenic diet and I talk about fasting in the first week and second week. And uh, the whole purpose is basically to try to recondition the gut uh, as far as what you've been eating before. So we want to kind of get rid of all the bad stuff and put in some of the good stuff. So we want to focus on healthy foods, whole foods. We want to focus on when you're eating, not eating all the time, not sne not snacking, you know, late at night or, you know, it's not necessary really to have dessert at nine o'clock at night. I mean, you can be done eating at six o'clock. It's okay. It's not, it's more of a cultural thing. I guess sometimes people feel like, Oh, Oh, we had a nice dinner. Uh, you know, now let's have dessert. You know, a few hours later, you you don't have to do that. Or if you're going to have dessert, you can have you know a bowl of berries with some cinnamon on top instead of a bowl of ice cream. They both will give you that same you know feeling of satisfaction. It's just a choice and understanding that these choices actually make a huge impact on what happens inside your gut and your whole body. And so um, uh, week one, you know, uh, talks of, it starts introducing the concept of ketogenic diet. And I think that that's not, that's not a bad way to kind of recondition the gut. You know, in the beginning, um, when you have an imbalance in the microbiome, uh, the ketogenic diet actually reduces the diversity in the microbiome. So you might exactly. think, you might think yep. that that's a bad thing, but it might actually be a good thing, you know, um, uh, because you may help reduce the populations of bacteria that are dysbiotic. And um, uh, there's a good study showing that ketogenic diet for six months um, did decrease the diversity in the microbiome initially, but after six months, the microbiome rebounded and actually became uh, more what they call kind of normal. This was in patients with MS, but um, I, I think that's, that's kind of what the principle is. You, you, you do something. That's why you don't necessarily do it forever unless you have a reason or a condition like seizure disorder, neurologic disorder, MS, things like that, that require you, that, that, that you may benefit from by doing it for a longer period of time. 
but in the beginning it may actually help and you may be able to use it as a therapeutic tool. Some people also follow a low FODMAP diet, you know, and Mm -hmm. so you can do kind of low FODMAP ketogenic style diet because the FODMAPs are kinds of foods that um, are highly fermentable. And so if you have all that gas and bloating uh, type symptoms that you mentioned, then not giving your gut those foods to digest and make that gas can actually help you. And then, you know, you start introducing concepts of fasting. I wouldn't do, you know, if you're a novice to this, I wouldn't do all of this stuff at once because you might end up having some problems. But, you know, after you're kind of used to it, and you feel like you're in a comfort zone, then, you know, fasting doesn't have to be something so overwhelming either. I, I say it's more like intermittent eating. Don't say intermittent fasting. <laughs> because when you say fasting, it kind of, kind of has a negative connotation. It's like, oh, I can't eat. So the whole, this whole thing is that I can't eat. No, no, you can eat. You just don't have to eat all the time, you know? So that's the point. So it's intermittent eating. So, you know, if you want to start and you're not sure how you want to do it, you know, uh, do 12 on and 12 off. So you eat for 12 hours and then you don't eat for 12 hours. And if you think about that, that could mean 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. That's not such a big deal, right? I mean, that's a, that, that would be considered normal. And that may not be as therapeutic, but at least it gets you thinking about when to eat and when not to eat. And then once you're in that comfort zone, you can kind of start shortening the, the, the time duration. So ideally, I think a lot of people want to just eat in an eight-hour window and then don't eat outside of that. So you can eat from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. That's also really not that, that crazy of a concept, you know eat breakfast a little bit later or have kind of like a brunch, you know, breakfast, lunch type thing, you know, in the mid morning, and then you have a, a, a solid dinner in the evening and then you're done. What else do you need? And so these kind of things can kind of help recondition the gut as well. There's a lot of data on fasting and how fasting improves the gut microbiome as well and helps with autophagy and uh, increasing stem cell productions, help reduce inflammation. There are a lot of different kinds of fasting styles and you know, that there are whole books actually written on fasting. Um, uh, but there's some good data, you know, uh, in, in a wide variety of uh, these types of um, fasting styles. Even in um, Dr. Longo's group, uh, who focuses on the fasting mimicking diet, mm-hmm. um, they showed they, they had a, um, a mouse model where they chemically induced colitis. Uh, in the in the mice and uh, put the mice on uh, several cycles of fasting mimicking diet and the colitis uh, started reversing without anything else so we can see that uh, that there is some uh, you know suggestion that inflammation can be modulated uh, by how you eat not just what you eat the natural you know we talk about the circadian rhythm for sleep I personally believe that there's a similar cycle for digestion and mm-hmm. for cleansing of the body. And when you disrupt that, when you disrupt that cycle of you eat in these hours and then the body cleans itself in these hours, which is, by the way, traditional Chinese medicine talks a lot about that, including the timing, then you end up with disease because you're disrupting how the body actually functions and thrives. So thank you for talking about the fasting because I think we've made it into such a big deal, like, oh, I'm going on a fast or mm-hmm. fasting is going to be so hard. No, that's actually the norm, I think, for the body. I think once you start, you realize, wow, the body really doesn't want a lot of food. We are being triggered by those television ads. I mean, who, 
who can resist late night this? snack, you know, right. Taco Bell drive through, you know, exactly. Like <laughs> exactly. We've confused our, um, I don't know, our desire trigger with our hunger trigger. So there's a desire trigger when I look at a brownie and an ice cream. Yeah. There's no hunger trigger. My body's full <clears throat> and satiated when I go down at nine o'clock and dig out that chocolate ice cream and apple pie. And so the question is, how do you decouple your desire trigger from your hunger trigger? And how do you develop the willpower to know the difference? Like, I'm full, I'm not hungry. And then to be able to resist that. And I think for me personally, and I'd love to get your feedback on what tools have you found that work? But for me personally, I found I'm an addictive personality. So, you know, willpower is not something that God <laughs> blessed me with. So what do I do? I just don't bring crap in the house. Mm -hmm. That's um, why so at I'm, the beginning, week one, you'll actually see the first thing is clean out your pantry. There you go. Wow. One of the first things you do is clean out and your, pantry. your fridge and your freezer, because if yep. there's an ice cream in the freezer in my house, it doesn't last more than a day and a half. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, if we make a back of a batch of brownies, it just doesn't last more than a day. Yeah, my, so my family has been so unhappy about this. The second is, I've realized this for myself. If I don't food prep the night before, mm -hmm. that as the day progresses, I just go into the backup stashes of just reactive eating. Food prep is so important. Right? I mean, even even if you're an advanced person in health and, uh, you know, if you get busy, um, we even notice it in ourselves. I mean, if it happens to be that our food prep day didn't happen, it's, it's hard. I mean, you do your best, but it's harder. You can save so much effort if you just do it ahead of time, you know, what well, we what we did uh, initially, you know, when we started uh, cleaning up our act and our family is I would go is, you know, the act of getting the groceries and then prepping it, it, it could take up like half your day. So you don't want to like ruin your your day either. So I left it for the weekends and Saturday I would just go to like Whole Foods or organic market and I would just buy all the stuff and then I'd bring it home, put it in the fridge. That's it, you know, and then the next day, Sunday, we'd get all the. Pyrex containers lined up on the counter is almost like a, it's kind of a funny scene. You know, you get all the knives, the cutting boards, the mandolin, you know, all that stuff. And, and then you just kind of wash and chop, wash and chop. And then, you know, my wife, if you're going to have like meat, like protein or chicken, you know, you can big batch the chicken, um, uh, or whatever, and just, um, have it, uh, you know, ready to go so that when you want to make dinner in the evening, all the stuff that you need is already chopped and ready to go. You just boom, 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 make it. So that way you can rapidly increase the number of vegetables that you're eating on a regular basis because it's already ready. You can have that huge salad at lunch because it's already ready. You can make a salad in like three minutes, uh, but if you had to make a salad every day from scratch, I mean, it could take you half an hour. And by the time you make the salad, you're already annoyed that you spend that much time doing it, you know? And you can't do that if you're at work. So, um, you know, you, you make, you know, three, five salads at a time and you just keep them in the fridge and pop it in your little bag and you go to work with a salad. Absolutely. That's how you do it. Absolutely. Food prep people. Um, what are your thoughts on these nutritional supplements? How important are those in these four weeks and which ones do you take? 
Well, you know, it, it really depends on who the person is um, and what's going on, if they have any particular kind of symptom or if we're trying to, you know, use something to kind of help the process along. Um, you know, uh, I generally try to keep it simple. You know, in the beginning, I talk about basic things like making sure you get source of B vitamins, vitamin D, um, liver supportive things like milk thistle and I may talk about adaptogens to help you with the stress response. So you're kind of trying to work on different levels of, you know, health uh, slowly from the beginning. Um, uh, adaptogens like ashwagandha, rhodiola can really help modulate your stress response and kind of reduce the stress um, and help you kind of, um, you know, get to that point where maybe meditation or breath work is easier because I know that all that kind of wraps in together as we were talking, the whole health and how you kind of, get control over things, it's due to multiple different factors, not just one necessarily. So we want to slowly start working on some of those things. But you may not need them for the long run, but they may be helpful in the beginning at least. Okay. Let's talk about specific conditions. Um, we'll just kind of go one by one. Crohn's colitis. What have you found for those that are suffering from Crohn's and colitis? What can they do to reverse it completely? Well, you know, uh, inflammatory bowel disease, Crohn's and ulcerative colitis uh, has such a wide uh, spectrum of presentation. So some people um, have fistulas and uh, strictures um, and they're really, really sick. So the way I look at a lot of conditions is um, there's two phases. We have to get you there in order to keep you there. That's kind of like the mantra I say over and over again. Just like with a heart attack, if you're having chest pain and you, you know, you're having EKG changes and you're in the emergency room, that is probably not the time to talk about, oh, I want to do all the alternative stuff now. I'm going to meditate my way out of that. I mean, that's not going to happen. You'll probably exactly. die. You'll probably die. Exactly. So, you know, in some cases they need medication. So um, uh, being an integrative person doesn't mean that you're kind of homeopathic or you know, ultra holistic in that you don't use any medications. If you need some medications because somebody is sick, you give the medication. So if they need, you know, a biologic, then that's fine. But the ultimate goal would be to try to get them into a place where they're steady and in clinical remission, if that was the case, that they were that sick, and then try to get them off the medications by using and implementing a lot of these integrative, alternative, functional, whatever you want to call it, techniques. And so a lot of times, you know, people in inflammatory bowel disease um, may benefit from spore-based probiotic. Um, there's, uh, there's data showing that the, the spores help reduce lipopolysaccharides mm -hmm. um, by cleaning up the diet. Obviously, diet and stress are huge kind of triggers in inflammatory bowel disease. Um, sometimes we use colostrum. Colostrum can help um, heal the gut as well. And I use uh, a serum-derived bovine immune globulin. Um, basically, those are uh, immune globulins or antibodies, and they help uh, reduce intestinal permeability and bind to ba bacterial toxins and things like that, kind of help get things you know, reconditioned um, so that you can uh, be in a better place for healing. We use things like L-glutamine and zinc carnosine and things like that as well. So there's a wide variety of things, turmeric, curcumin, you know, that's a big one as well, boswellia, aloe, DGL. So, there, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily throw all of those on one person. It kind of depends on 
what they've tried before, what kind of symptoms they have, how bad, what the extent of the disease is. But those are some of the tools that, you know, we can use in our toolbox. And there's actually a pretty cool probiotic that I'm excited to use that's coming out hopefully in the next few months uh, that I've heard about that is a, uh, a super butyrate producer. And so butyrate is a short chain fatty acid and a short, short chain fatty acids in the gut uh, reduce inflammation. It's almost, uh, it's almost like you're getting a little dose of chemo uh, when, when, you're, when you have good levels of butyrate in the gut. And that's why we all talk about fiber because what happens when the bacteria eat the fiber, they digest the fiber, they make butyrate. And that's why it helps reduce inflammation. So if you think about the chain of events and why are we saying that, it's not just because, oh, vegetables have vitamins. I mean, it has all that stuff too, but what happens is the gut digests it and it makes short chain fatty acids. So you eat some broccoli and as a reward, it gives you a little dose of chemo. So not, not to sit, not, you know, so, so that's, uh, that's kind of the theory behind um, why good healthy diet is so important. And so there's a, there's a probiotic that should be coming out soon that um, produces a lot of butyrate and it's uh, one of its kind. And uh, hopefully that will also help get people going in the right direction. And what is the name of this new super the pill? Name, the name, I believe, the, of the probiotic is called Butyrate Ultra. Um, okay. And microbiome, so microbiome, microbiome Labs is making it. Got it. Got it. Okay. We so all learned about it at the con. I was just at a conference last weekend uh, where I spoke, and uh, they kind of introduced that product. Nice, nice. So that's on the Crohn's colitis. And um, have you had experience reversing it? Because again, there's a lot of misinformation of, oh, you're stuck with it for life. Uh, have you had experience or have you seen cases where people have completely reversed it? And yeah, I've definitely seen people. Yeah, I mean, it is amazing how how people can be so responsive to some of the things that we're talking about today. Um, uh, you know, uh, everybody's different. You know, uh, there are some cases that are much more challenging because if you think about it, if we know that we have a risk for Crohn's and maybe you even have a little bit of some symptoms, and you know about it before you develop a major problem, you're going to be very much more likely able to avoid medications and stuff like that. But with autoimmune disease, when the, when the trigger's been pulled and uh, the gun is firing, you have to be able to stop the fire and then figure out where the fire came from and then reverse that fire. And it can be done. Sometimes it takes a long time and sometimes it's a little bit more challenging because if you already have a stricture and the stricture perforates and you have fistulas, um, you know, you have a problem that's an anatomic problem. It's a surgical problem. You may need to have surgery. And then surgery leads to something else. And so then you kind of get stuck in, it's not just the autoimmune issue that the triggers that cause the problem, but there are consequences that you've incurred as a result of having that original fire being started. And so now we have to deal with that. And so, you know, it's just like, you know, saying I was in a car accident and I lost my arm. You know, I, we can't make the arm grow back, but we could get you a prosthesis, you know, like so we can do our best under your circumstances. So I think that's important to, to think about as well. Because some people have, you know, enterocutaneous fistulas where the bowel is connected to the skin and fecal material is coming outside the skin. 
uh, yeah, we can do a lot of things that can help control perhaps the disease, but when you have an anatomic connection like that, it's, it's hard to unwind that. So everybody's different. The situation is different. So it's kind of realistic or practical about that, but I have seen and helped a lot of people uh, get control over their inflammation and really reduce medications and even manage without medications in a lot of cases. And what about something as simple as gas and bloating, which I feel like, you know, as I get to 50, a lot of my friends are facing that um, <laughs> gas and bloating. Yeah. What do you, what have you found um, to work? And of course we know that every person's unique and so it's going to be a different remedy, but uh, what are some of the things that you found that work like digestive enzymes? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So gas and bloating, a lot of times people have what we call SIBO, a small intestinal bacterial overgrowth and um, looking at uh, what, what the root cause of that may be is also important because a lot of times people have recurrent issues with getting treatment and then it coming back. And so uh, digestive enzymes can help. Um, uh, sometimes if you have concern over low acid, um, digestive enzymes do come with uh, betaine or HCL. And what that does is help replace something that's kind of missing from your digestive system because the food's not being digested well enough and as a result, it sits and ferments. I use, you know, prokinetic things. You know, we use Iberogast. Uh, sometimes I talk about ginger as well because these help aid in the digestive process uh, as well. I actually use that same serum-derived bovine immune globulin that I talked about as well, you know, particularly if people have more of a loose stools in the setting of uh, uh, SIBO and gas and bloating because it helps kind of bind the endotoxins and uh, even some whole bacteria to kind of help it clear from the GI tract. And then I use, uh, you know, it depends on the personality of the person. If they are really sick and miserable and they want the antibiotic treatment, uh, you know, sometimes people want that because they're crying and they're in pain and, and they really have no other way to go. But usually I prefer to try to guide people towards using more of an herbal regimen that's not an antibiotic-based regimen because it's a little bit more gentler on the microbiome. And we have, uh, we have a study from you know, 2014 by the group at Johns Hopkins, um, my colleagues, that demonstrated that the antibiotic treatment is just as good as the herbal regimen in SIBO. So I, you know, my, my philosophy is, if, you know, especially if that's the case and we have an evidence-based you know, recommendation, then why not use the... the the you know regimen that's going to be easier on your system, and so um, I use a, a variety of herbal combinations. Uh, the two there are two kinds of herbal protocols that were described in the study. Um, one was candybactin AR and candybactin BR, and the other was fcidal and dysbiocide. So those are two separate regimens. When there's um, more of a methane predominance, we throw in some garlic or some allicillin. They kind of help with that process as well. And in addition to giving like treatments or supplements, really coming back to where this is coming from is also important because motility is a, a big part of this whole picture. So mm -hmm. motility means how the gut moves and squeezes. And um, when you're under a lot of stress, the gut doesn't squeeze or move as well. 
when you're not eating the right types of foods or you're overeating, you know, the gut doesn't function as well. So we want to kind of address some of those things. If you're exercising, that helps move, uh, helps improve with peristalsis and uh, how the gut's squeezing. If you're sleeping well, if you're eating the right foods, if you're reducing the kinds of things that can cause your, you know, uh, gas and bloating, you're doing all of these good things that also kind of helps. And then and a lot of times there's leaky gut. So um, leaky gut can drive SIBO and uh, vice versa. And so after you're done this kind of herbal regimen, we want to focus our attention on the leaky gut and how to kind of reconstitute the bowels so that you have a more resilient gut in order to avoid this, this situation from uh, continuing to come back. I actually had SIBO, um, pretty significant. Uh, I think you get diagnosed at numbers like, like 25, and I was at 180 and uh, 165. So I had both kinds of bacteria, which was interesting because it meant that I had really no symptoms. Like I didn't have constipation or diarrhea because they were balancing themselves out. Um, it was one of the very last tests that I did on my own to figure out what was going on. And we did find SIBO and, and then I did have to follow the protocol. I'm very proud to say that I've managed um, the diet and lifestyle in a way that it has not recurred, even though I was informed that something ridiculous like 80% of the time SIBO comes back. That's because, so, that's because I think that um, we're not talking about the after part. So it's like, you know, if you have a problem and you see what's causing the problem and you just focus on fixing the problem but not what's causing the problem, exactly. the problem's going to keep coming back over and over again. Exactly. So you fix the problem, but then you address why the problem is occurring. In some cases, a lot of times people have surgery. So that's actually one tougher group of people. So uh, gastric bypass patients, if you've had any bowel resection, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, anatomically, there's a connection formed that uh, is not a natural connection and that, that's meaning that's not how you were born. And so that may allow for stasis of contents in the gut to occur and be a risk factor for SIBO. So, you know, even appendectomy can be a risk factor for SIBO. And so many people have had their appendix taken out. Um, I don't look at that as like, oh, well, I'm never going to get better. I look at that as, well, you know, there's a challenge. It's an anatomic challenge. That's not something any supplement or any meditation is going to be able to fix because that's just how your, your, your gut is right now. So we deal with it. We optimize as much as we can and really kind of ramp up uh, what we're doing as far as motility and things like that to try to stay on top of um, – the whole situation. And, you know, if you need to get treated again once in a while, it's not the end of the world either. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think intermittent fasting has been... Fasting is big too. Yeah, I was, about, I was thinking that in my head, but fasting actually helps people a lot um, with, this, with this issue. Dr. Marvin, of the four weeks we've talked, what have we missed? What have we not talked about? I think the main thing is kind of when you get towards the end. You're starting to see that things are going well. You maybe um, uh, have learned some different techniques, meditation, diet, how to kind of live, looking at toxins in your life. And you may be kind of uh, in a much better place than you were when you first started. 
But the most important thing is that this is not the end. There has to be something after the four weeks. And so what we want to do is learn as much as we can about our health, our body, our genes, our microbiome, our sensitivities, how our immune system works, and then try to work with somebody to, you know, create a lifestyle management program or whatever you want to call it that's going to be flexible and sustainable, something that you can use for your whole life. Because I think that's where a lot of these programs or plans kind of miss the mark. It's not, you know, take my 30-day diet restoration program and you're good for life. There's no such thing as that. That's just a farce. I mean, that the 30-day programs or whatever-day programs, they may help. And they may help in the same way that this four-week plan that I put together helps. But there has to be an afterwards. If there's no afterwards, then what you're going to do is just think that what you did is going to last you forever and you're going to get back to where you were in the first place, maybe even worse. You know, So we want to be able to use these tools to kind of get control over things. But then remember, there is an afterwards part and that we're humans. We're going to go on vacation. We're going to go to parties. You're not going to sit in your room with your kale in your hands and say, kale, kale, kale. You know, I mean, you have to live your life. Part of lifestyle management is enjoying life and social interconnections. So you don't want to be the sore thumb in a party all the time. You don't necessarily have to eat burgers and fries if you're at the party. You can eat the salad. You can eat the, you know, vegetables and fruits and things like that that are there. But, you know, you have to be flexible and sustainable. If, if it's your birthday, that's the classic thing I say. If it's the birthday and you want a piece of cake because it's your birthday, have the cake. You got to live your life. You want to have fun also. Just don't eat the cake every day or all the time. You know, once a year is no big deal. You know, <laughs> you, you will still survive. And, you know, and if you go on a one-week vacation, all included in Hawaii or Mexico or whatever, you're not going to probably stick to the routine. And that's not the end of the world either. You can use these tools to get back to where you were and then kind of go from there again. That makes a lot of sense. You know, we didn't talk about food sensitivities and allergies. Yeah. Um, or sort of even elimination diets. What do you recommend uh, from a testing standpoint for food sensitivities? Yeah. So, uh, you know, none of these tests that we have for food sensitivities are like perfect. We have some, you know, decent tests that we can use. And I tell people that if you do a food sensitivity test, don't think that it's like, you know, the result is coming down from the heavens and saying you can never eat, um, you know, uh, drink coffee again or have green tea again, or you could never have kale again if you're sensitive to that. It's, it, these are tests that are meant to kind of guide and perhaps an elimination diet is what we're talking about when you're trying to clean up your diet. And uh, they can be helpful. Um, uh, I've seen a lot of people benefit from doing these food sensitivity tests. I use, uh, you know, anything from Cyrex to Everly Well, KBMO is another test a lot of people use. There are different kinds of uh, food sensitivity tests. Um, they're not perfect, but they can be helpful. And if they do help you figure out what you can eliminate from your diet to kind of avoid some reactions or sensitivities, then by all means, do it. I mean, the, the biggest downside is that you lost a, a prick uh, or a, a tube of blood uh, and spent a little money on it. 
And the upside is that um, you found an answer to some of your digestive issues because you started avoiding foods that are causing problems. Absolutely, because we know that sensitivities and allergies are on the rise. And so for those of you listening or watching, there are ways to get tested to find what you're sensitive to. And then to really just test out an elimination diet, uh, which is what I did. Mm-hmm. If you're looking for a way to track, check out the health journal, which we created and it's available for free. So just go to healcircle.org and you can download the free health journal. And that'll allow you to kind of make notes and say, here's my symptoms, here's what I did, okay, how do I feel? And it can be sort of one to three days later that um, symptoms can manifest. So it's, there's this misinformation that if I eat something and I'm going to react immediately, and in fact, that's not the case at all, uh, the reaction could manifest a day later as that particular food is making its way down your gut could be as late as two days or three days. A couple so. days, yeah. We say sometimes a couple days later. Exactly. And um, that's, I think, one of the easiest ways to figure it out is um, do the sens- sensitivity test. By the way, we are partnered up with Biome, and I, I love Biome. Have you had the Biome gut test done, Dr. Marvin? Yeah, yeah. The, the important thing is that Biome is actually going to be doing food sensitivity tests. I don't know that's that right. it's mainstream yet, but if you... If you haven't done that part of the, the new offering, the results are not a food sensitivity test. So they say that like a hundred times, I think, on the website and in the and on their app. But sometimes people think that the food recommendations they're getting are based on sensitivities, but it's not. It's uh, in, unless you've done the food sensitivity part of the test. Absolutely. All right. Well, I want to thank you so much for taking the time uh, to join us this morning on a Sunday and share <laughs> sort of the insights into how we can reset our gut for a healthier life. How can people reach you? I have a website, uh, drmarvinsingh.com, and uh, my Instagram, Facebook, you know, social media is at drmarvinsingh. So pretty easy to access. Uh, feel free to shoot me a message or visit my site and download the ebook and learn some more. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much again. Uh, Dr. Marvin. And for the rest of you, stay smiling. I'll see you on another one of the podcasts. Thanks. That's a wrap. Share your love with a five-star review and get show notes at healthbootcamps.com. Connect with us on Health Bootcamps, Facebook, and Twitter. Also, don't forget to check out other great interviews and subscribe to the Get Healthier podcast today.